podcast. I'm your brand new host, Travis Hudson, and I'm joined today by Andrew Riley and our usual host, Paul Essen. We're continuing our fledgling book club discussions, and neither of my co-hosts right now know what book I'm about to pick. Um, but I figured we'd recap a couple that we've already talked about. So if you go back to episode 63, you can listen to our discussion of The Fire Next Time, a book Paul absolutely loved. Boo. Um, and if you go to episode 74, you can listen to Andrew and me discuss From Hell in depth it, and all its many, many themes. Um, so many layers. Like an onion. So last, during that From Hell, Andrew and I briefly discussed our reading styles, that I don't reread anything and Andrew tends to reread more. So, But we didn't get Paul's input, so I wanted to get a kick off with that, that we know Paul doesn't read much. That's the only thing we know. <laughs> yeah, can I just leave it at that? I don't read much? Or is the question, do I reread things? Well, I guess partially do you reread things, and I guess I would maybe then, if you have a preferred genre. Hmm. Uh, do I reread things? Generally, no, I would say. Um, because I don't read much, if I'm going to read something, it's usually going to be something new, because there's, there's there's plenty of new material out there for me to read. It's not for lack of, of stuff to read. Um you know, there are some exceptions. I have been reading the, the Dealing with Dragons Quadrology or whatever it's called, the Enchanted Forest Chronicles, to my kids, and that's rereading it, but it's serving a different purpose. Uh, preferred genres. Um, I like uh, historical, uh, what's it called? Uh, alternate, alternate, I like, al- alternate, yeah. alternate history, yeah. Um, Harry Turtledove was a favorite of mine. Uh, I do like some not a lot of nonfiction books, I guess. Um, you know, as as I mentioned in my most impactful books uh, list from way back when, um, a lot of them were nonfiction books. Uh, that's that's kind of about it. I'll I'll, I'll say non nonfiction. Uh, you know, Harry Potter was nice. Uh, I've read the Harry Potter books. Atlas Shrugged kind of sticks out as kind of a a weird book that I I did enjoy, and, uh, although it's very long and it's not really alternative. I guess it's kind of alternative history, maybe. I'm not. T- I'm not entirely sure where it falls, but okay. yeah, that's that's kind of I. I, I run the gamut. Okay. <clears throat> well, I run the gamut of this incredibly narrow subset. <laughs> there you go. I run I'm the interested. Narrow subset. I, I am interested. It's not alternative history, but I am interested if this book falls in maybe not your wheelhouse, but will interest you enough to actually join us at the end of this. So, leading into this, so this was a book I actually read many years ago, which based on the dates, it um, would have been early 90s because it is a graphic novel. I'll give you that hint. Ooh, it has pictures. Um, it was it ser- it a little bit easier to read probably, although From Hell still took us quite a while. Right. It was serialized from 1980 to 1991. So it took 11 years to actually finish publishing all the issues. That doesn't mean it's a million issues. <laughs> um. So this might give it away depending on what you know about it. It was written and illustrated by Art Spiegelman. And it's in it's centered around one of Paul's favorite subjects, I believe. Wow. This is embarrassing we, then, because I have no we, idea what you're talking about. Well, I'm thinking one of your favorite subjects is World War II, correct? Uh, okay, sure. I like okay. I like death and wars. So this is a little bit of a it's not alternate history, obviously. <laughs> well, I'm I get, very I, hesitant to actually state could, what it is because I think be. I know what it is, but if I'm wrong, I'm going to make a complete ass of myself. So go ahead. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to keep teasing it a little bit here. Uh, so 
It's the first and only graphic novel to win the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what this is. Okay, yeah. Uh, Yeah, it it keeps getting more obvious, of course. Uh, It's considered one of the big three book form comics. This, along with Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns, so it's not either one of those, um, are like the three that are considered of ushering the comic book format into a more prestigious book format. Um, because this was actually maybe not the first, but it was one of the first major graphic novels to get distribution through the bookstores, not just the direct market, which is just comic book stores, which is usually if you want to buy comics, especially nowadays, you have to go to a comic book store. Although you used to be able to buy them like in the grocery store and the drugstore everywhere, but nowadays not so much. Um, They're definitely more of a specialty item these days. Correct. Uh, It's, well, although, but... The MCU has made graphic novels also a pretty big seller in bookstores. Uh, so it's original. It's in two volumes. Its first collection was in 1986. And this was something I did not know. Um, it, they made sure the author wanted to make sure it was published before an American tale because he felt the American tale movie might have been inspired by this book. So I'm going to give Andrew the, the chance to guess right now because if I give anything more i'm gonna uh, it's gonna well I, probably I become obvious do you, do you want to give paul a chance to guess before i guess all right i'll give I, i'll give uh, unless paul wants to offer a guess i'll give one more massive hint uh so i i'll say i've been doing some research while you've been talking so i'm pretty sure <laughs> oh, i know so you've been, but okay, well, i had you've been cheating. I had never heard of it Wait, i didn't know i wasn't supposed to look we are going to be reading mouse yes the complete mouse m-a-u-s which is german for mouse mouse <laughs> now it's called mouse because so the story is framed as Art Spiegelman is interviewing his father, a real-life survivor of the Holocaust. Um, and he did not get along with his father apparently very well, which is something I didn't remember after uh, 25, 25. <laughs> or no, 30 years. 1991 is when it came out. Um, well, this one was written. You said you read it in the late 90s? so you No, early 90s. Uh, sorry, if I said late, I meant er- based on early you may, 90s. You may have said either. I probably wasn't paying close enough attention. Um, well, so to get... So for those who are not familiar with this, it is called Mouse because the Jews are ever all the characters are anthropomorphic. So the Jews are mice, the Nazis, the Nazis are Germans, shouldn't just isolate it to Nazis. The Germans are cats and the Pole the Poles, I got stuck between Polish people and Poles, sorry. The Poles are pigs. Um, I think other countries might have other animals, but those are those are the three major ones. So yeah, it was – I'm pretty sure I read this back in middle school, although based on publication, I could have possibly read it in even fifth grade. I don't know if I would have picked this up in fifth grade, but I, I definitely didn't I read it that early. I have read Mouse, but it's been a long, long time. I, I read it in the late 1990s or perhaps early 2000s, so it's been another 20, 25 years for me, but um, I have read it. Oh, and – well, I guess we should also make sure. I presumably Paul, since he said he had never heard of this, has never read this. No, I <laughs> okay. I've never read or heard of this. Okay, I'm actually shocked that you've never heard of it. Um, one more thing I'll say about my reading history is I've read the first book, which is called My Father Bleeds History. I believe I have it right in front of me, but I'm not going to flip it open. The second book is something like And Here My Troubles Began. So I think when I read it, both volumes were out probably, but I think I only made it through the first one. So I might never have read the second half of this collection um, because I'm it is 90 percent sure I read both. But I do remember that the first one was snappier, shall we say. OK, 
Um, I do have the actual hardback complete collection, um, which I've owned for probably a decade now and never actually read my copy. So when Andrew mentioned about me picking the next book, I kind of knew that this would be the one I would pick because I've also suggested it to my library book group. And six months later, they still have not picked up on it. So I don't think we're going to be reading it there. <laughs> and I figured maybe this would appeal to Paul's World War II aficionado, but we'll see. All right, Paul, here's the moment of truth. Are you in or are you out? Well, so I have some questions for you. I don't uh -oh. know if this is how All this right. normally goes, but I'm reading the Wikipedia article. And okay. according to Wikipedia, it says that the work employs postmodernist techniques. And I don't know exactly what postmodernist means, but I have a very visceral and emotional <laughs> feeling of disgust towards the term postmodernist. And if I click on the link in Wikipedia it, uh, for postmodernism, one of the lines Paul hates <laughs> it has a picture of me with a giant red circle and a slide through it. Uh, no, it says criticisms of postmodernism are intellectually diverse and include arguments that postmodernism promotes obscuritanism, is meaningless, and that it adds nothing to analytical or empirical knowledge. Now, I don't know, I don't understand that first term, obscuritanism, and I'm not going to go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole, but the rest of that sentence really speaks to me. And I can totally see myself reading this book and coming to the review and just saying that it is was meaningless and it adds nothing to analytical or empirical knowledge. Good day, sirs, and may God have mercy on your souls. And then mic dropping it. Is that something that you think that I might do? Not because I'm a jerk, because that this work uh, elicits that kind okay. of response for me. I think you could do that. <laughs> I don't think that this book would elicit that. But then again... I read it 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago, so I would have not known what postmodernism was at that point in my life. Does the book I, make I will also say I'm not entirely sure. I suspect that if you read it, you will not enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> it's not a particularly enjoyable uh, book, but even beyond that, I'm not sure that it would speak to you particularly well, Paul, but that might be all the more reason for you to read it, to come in and have that opinion to tell us as we gush over it if we do. No, I, I remember not liking it myself, but maybe this time I'll like it better. So, will is it a not enjoyable book in the Grave of the Fireflies kind of way? Not nearly as bad as Grave of the Fireflies, but but well, like okay, the but, same direction. But dealing with the Holocaust, so. right? But the but the backup Graveyard of the Fireflies isn't a bad movie. It's just no, it's an amazing. movie. It made you cry in terms. Of well, I, no, I'm yeah, I'm wondering if it's not because Andrew has oftentimes gushed over things and, and then ultimately concluded they are not enjoyable, which is we oftentimes <laughs> laugh at. Right. And so, but I understand that. Yes. Like certain things like grave of the fireflies, you can okay. both describe as not enjoyable and be a great work of art. I'm just wondering if this is, will be not enjoyable because it's dealing with oh. the Holocaust or if it's not enjoyable because I'm going to get to the end and be like, that made no sense. Well, I'll just, I'll, yeah, I'll also ahead, point out, Travis. I'll also point out Andrew just said he didn't like mouse, X number of years ago when he read it. He also didn't like Prince of Thieves. So <laughs> yeah. we, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there. <laughs> he's wrong about I a lot of stuff. I still don't like Prince of Thieves. Yeah. He's, he's I, wrong about a lot of stuff. I didn't like Prince of Thieves. I still don't like Prince of Thieves. I might now like Mouse. We'll so one, one possibility would be, assuming your local libraries are open, you should be able to get a copy of this pretty easily. So you don't necessarily have to buy it. And it is a graphic novel, so you should be able to read just like the first issue. And if that if that's enough for you, and you say I'm out, then you're out. Yeah, I was gonna so, say it seems like I, this seems like something that I should be able to tell within the first couple of pages, honestly, uh, or maybe the first issue, uh, whether it's something that 
I'm either going to follow or just be completely lost the entire time. So I'll tentatively commit to trying to track down that first issue or whatever it is and, and reading that much at least and, and, and letting you know from there. All right. So is that fair? <laughs> yes. So uh, as Andrew said, through the magic of editing, we'll be right back to dive deep into mouse. All right, and we're back to jump into our discussion about Mouse. So, Paul, you're the most reticent about reading this book. So I'm going to ask, without going into too many details, and by the way, we're going to be delving into spoilers at some point. But Probably right here, pretty quickly. Yeah, but right here at the top, general feeling. Thumbs up, thumbs down. What did you, what did you think? Um, I guess we'll go with a thumbs down. Uh, you know, I, I didn't... Uh... I found it a little slow, a little boring, to be honest, uh, a little confusing, um, even. Um, I think the the his drawing of all the people as as mice, well, all the all the Jews as mice, uh, kind of worked against him, him. I think because there's a lot of times where I'm like, wait, who is that talking? Is that Vladek? Is that Art? Is that um, the, some of his one of his random family members? I couldn't tell anyone apart, like ever, like. So, Sometimes when it was just Vladek and Art, like I could tell, you know, one from the other. But when it came down to like, oh, this is my father-in-law, and this is my aunt, and this is my cousin, I'm like, Jesus, I don't know who any of these people are. And I had I had a really hard time keeping track of who was who and where they were. And frankly, it got to the point where I just didn't really care. I'm like, okay, you're in another place, and things are bad. Got it. Okay. I <laughs> obviously will have more to say about <laughs> the, yeah. the animal representation and the drawings, but. To be clear, I am the idiot every man here. Maybe I shouldn't. I shouldn't make fun of every man. I am the idiot, the literary idiot here. You, you are the one that reads the least out of the three of us. And I, I'm. I've a long history of being of being a cantankerous old man when it comes to like, oh, you're reading way too much into this. This is just like you know, stop reading all these deep meanings into stuff. I, I don't do that kind of thing because, oh, like I, I said, I, I'm an idiot. I have a note about you for later on. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Looking um, forward to it. All right, Andrew, what did initial impressions? I know thumbs up, thumbs down is pretty binary. So if you want to go more granular than that, feel free. So, yeah, I think I have to go somewhat more granular than that because, as I mentioned, uh, I had read this previously, but I don't exactly recall when. My recollection is that I read it in the late 90s, but it might have been in the early 2000s. Either way, it's been a long time since I had read it, and I think I uh, mentioned that my recollection was that I hadn't particularly enjoyed it the first time around. Uh, and I think I'm actually right back where I started from, which is that I definitely still got things out of this. I didn't feel it was at all a waste of my time. But on the whole, I was left underwhelmed by the experience because it was it's hyped up. You know, it's, it's uh, critically acclaimed. New York Times loves it. And it's just a biography. Now, there's some interesting things in it, and you can learn a lot from a biography, and it's a real story, but it isn't as compelling to me as I was hoping it could be. Okay. So, so are you going to answer I, your I, own question, Travis? Yeah. How, well, no, how many and, thumbs and are I, you giving up? <laughs> and I pondered this. Like, I mean, my thumb's firmly dead center to, to, <laughs> to, pick, that, to pick the middle course. Like, it, it, it had the problems that I think kind of you both – in a way brought up like um there were slow parts there were there were definitely parts where he probably could have edited parts out um of you know not he didn't need to go through every step on the other hand it is his own dad it's his family history it's, it it's important to him but then you have to think about 
is it is is it interesting and important to your audience? Because I, at a certain point in the latter part of the book, I think, uh, well, yeah, because so there is eleven chapters, although the eleventh is almost an epilogue, honestly. Um, but yeah, the in the first book is the first six chapters, and they don't even get to Auschwitz until the end of that book, I believe. Right. And it it, it there was just kind of a lot of. Well, the first two chapters, it's not even the war yet, right? It's even before that and kind of rambling like I am now. But um, but then once they get to that, yes, I, I can see where it is. Oh, now we're hiding out in this bunker. Now we're hiding out in this bunker. Oh, now this guy's going to turn us in. Now this it, – it, it did get kind of repetitive where it's – yes, it's true to life. But yeah, I can agree. It doesn't necessarily make the most compelling story. Like, like if this wasn't – I don't know if you can really take it out of context, though. I was going to say, like, if this wasn't about the Holocaust, if this was just a totally fictional story, would it have any draw at all? And maybe that's an unfair question to pose to a book <laughs> based on history and grounded in a personal biography. But I don't think it would, for the simple reason that it's not a fictional story. It's a true story, and our lives have these moments where you have ups and downs, and sometimes our lives are boring. Now, Vladek Spiegelman lived an interesting life because he lived in interesting times, and as a result, it is interesting to hear about his story. But for most people, it's not so much the story as what happens in his life. You know, He didn't make a whole lot of decisions necessarily that changed the world, but he lived through these important moments. So we get to see it through his eyes. And I'm going to talk about this more later on, I'm pretty sure, but it's how the events of that shaped him. Because much of the story is about Spiegelman in his older age, uh, Vladek Spiegelman in his older age, and living the life that he is trying to live and the effects that living through this has all had on him. The trauma that he's experienced, for better or worse, has impacts. And that is where a lot of the ink is spilled in Mouse, is trying to understand, is it in his nature to be like this, or is it something that the Holocaust did to him, or some combination? Yeah, that I was going to say, like, it, this... This almost felt like a way too long examination of why Art resented his father and why his father was the way he was in terms of being so insanely frugal and um, self-sufficient to a fault and haggling with everybody because that was what got him through the Holocaust. Like, I, I saw that kind of common thread of... Um, but yeah, to, to Travis's point, like, it... It felt like that could have been a short story, not like two graphic novels, right? It, I mean, it, it kind of went on a little long. Um, but it is Although, interesting to consider, like, it, chicken or the egg. Was was he like this before the Holocaust, or was it because that's what it took to survive? Because he, he had to have been like that a little bit before the Holocaust, right? I mean, I, I feel like you don't really learn that during the Holocaust, because you probably you die before you learn that, I'm guessing. So, and we're obviously going to kind of jump back and forth through it, <clears throat> through the book, but... I think a little bit of it does come. So the two made, yeah, that's one of the major themes that I saw in the book was it's a character examination of of Vladek and picking apart what caught, yeah, what's the cause of why he was like that? Was it the war? Well, look, other people didn't come out of the Holocaust like this, so it couldn't have been. But it's also the other very major theme is his relationship with is it Anya or Anna. Or, or Ajna, or, or Anja. I, I assumed it was a silent J. Because somewhere... It's, okay. 
Uh, you would pronounce that Anya, but it's spelled A-N-J-A. Anya. Okay. Yeah. Because at so some point, says... someone actually just says Anna, like A-N-N-A, but I think it was supposed to be somebody who didn't speak Polish, maybe. So probably mispronouncing it. Um, but it was their relationship that was like also maybe a contributing factor to how <laughs> Vladik is now. At, we see him. Um, sorry, I'm going to probably keep calling her Anya just because that's how I said it in my, in my head the whole time. But um, but we do get two whole chapters before the war even really starts. And like I said, they don't even get to the camps until the second book. So we do get to see some of that. And I think some of it is influenced by the fact that he married up big time, like right Cla- like class wise. I don't know mm-hmm. if he was necessarily poor, but like it's very much made a deal. Like he's marrying into a rich family because that's even a concern that I think her, her family has. Right. Is that he's just marrying her for her money, I think. I read chapter one and two a long time ago at this point. So I don't, I can't remember exact details of that, but then that's interesting. Cause then like, that's the flip of what he's dealing with Mala. Right. Cause Mala's like, he thinks she, she's just after him for her money, which or his money, which we can get into Mala later on. Cause it looks like she actually is honestly, but <laughs> there are some very complex things going on in those relationships. And I think the piece that you're remembering uh, is not so much that Vladek uh, was after the money or even that uh, Anya's family was interested in trying to flesh him out to see if he was in the money. But Vladek's girlfriend at the time wrote Anya a letter saying, you know, this is from your friend. Be wary of this guy. He's just after you for your money because was, she was trying to keep Vladek when Vladek had no interest in her, actually. It was, it was just a thing. Uh, so it wasn't anything that I think anybody saw anything in except the girlfriend. Oh, right. Yeah, I wasn't saying that he was marrying her for the money, but, like, it was... And yes, I, I, I forgot the letter that kind of caused the whole discord to come up be- between him and the family. So it, I guess it wasn't really a thing yet until that, that girlfriend, which is kind of a, if you want to talk about a part that could be excised, like why include all the way back to the girlfriend? Like why not just start married? Or, you know, like I, I tried to figure that out the whole time. Like why even, almost why even have chapter one? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> like, um. Cause that was one of my earliest notes was like, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's two chapters before there's even a whiff of world war two coming. Um, now is that just to personalize it or I don't know, like it's just, it's sold so heavily on, this is a Holocaust story and you don't even get to the concentration camps until the second volume, which I think there was a break in publication. Like that's why it's two books. Which, yes. It was many years between which flabbergasts me the fact that, book one ends with like, and then we got to Auschwitz. And if you were reading this in real time, I'd be like, wait, I, I thought that's what this was. But um, so I don't know, Paul sounded like you might've had something to say, but um, for one of the um, talking about how, how Vladik is, why he is um, an arts examination of him. One of the academic themes is, uh, is about post memory, not, not postmodernism yet, Paul, but <laughs> post-memory about, um, like, when, and this is kind of hard maybe for us because our, I don't know, my, I don't particularly know too many of my parents' memories, but also my parents didn't live through something like the Holocaust. But there's this thing about the children of people who lived through the Holocaust, not that they feel they lived through it, but it's such a part of their parents' memories and their everyday life that it eventually becomes like the children's memories. 
And so I right. think and I think that's part of what Artie is dealing with. He even talks about it at various points in this uh, memoir of sorts. He's talking about how when he was a child, he would have visions of mm-hmm. uh, SS troopers coming to his school and pulling him out and uh, imagining Cyclone B coming from the showers when he was taking a shower. It's not that that was ever going to happen to him, but because it was such a huge part uh, of the formation of his parents' lives, their relationship, and uh, everything that they were living now in, in a different place and time, that it was impossible to get away from it, and it, it becomes oppressive. One of the things that I wanted to bring up, and perhaps this will uh, get our conversation moving again, mm-hmm. is that the intro is depicting mm-hmm. um, Vladik in an interesting way. He's a young man who's living life, but he's not necessarily what we'd expect to be a good man. And this is, you know, he's writing this, uh, Artie is writing this in the 1980s and into the 1990s. And so there's a moral expectation that comes with that. And Vladek is not living that moral expectation life. He's got a girlfriend. He's having sexual relations with her. He's doing things that uh, are on the out of where society is when this is being written. And I think that part of this is actually intentional. He wants to show this, both to show that his father is real and did some of these things, but also to point out that every single person you meet in this story, even the heroes, the person that we're following along with, is a flawed human being. Um, It is intentionally anti-hagiographic. I don't know what hagiographic means, but yeah, it it occurs to me that... so, So one thing that I kind of enjoyed in a bizarre way... I guess was at the very tail end, right? When uh, they're driving back from, I believe, the grocery store and they pick up the hitchhiker. And uh, Vladik is just brazenly racist against picking up a black hitchhiker. Um, and it, it it called back to um, Crash, which is the, the Academy Award-winning movie that everyone loves to hate, where it kind of... Um, challenges some preconceived notions and kind of flips some expectations on your head where you would assume that having gone through this horrible experience where a group of people were judging you harshly based on your background and nothing about you as an individual, that Vladik would not be so quick to do that to another group of people. And yet that's exactly what he does. And, and they even, um, Art and uh, Fr- Francois, what was his wife's name? I can't remember. Francois. Yeah, Francois. Um, e- even call him out on that. Like, how could you, how could you possibly be like that, considering what happened to you? And, and he kind of brushes it off in his in his it, Vladic way. And his um, response, his response is, it's not even to compare the Schwarzers and the Jews. Yeah, right. Like it's like you know, oh, like it's you know, it's it's just not the same thing because we're Jews and they're whatever you just Schwartz does, whatever the, the slur is in Yiddish or whatever it is. I had to look that up. I'm like, what the heck is he saying? Um, so yeah, I, so, I don't know. I thought so that was interesting. You, right. So do you think, do you think he's, he's clearly being racist? I won't even say he's <laughs> not being racist. Um, but is he coming from it as a, Hey, we're the Jews. We've had it worse than anybody ever throughout history or, and he's coming at it from that, or is it actually more of a, I know he gives the example of like, oh, I, when he first moved to New York or something, he would leave something out and like black people would instantly steal it. How he knew it was black people all the time, who knows? Like, but that's just his, that's his prejudice coming through probably too. But um, I mean, it's, it's another one of those questions of, is that how he was? Or did, did the, did living through the Holocaust add that to his character? Which, it's it's impossible to say. I, well, right. I think I think it's impossible to say. But my takeaway, or 
I guess my reading of it was that um, he probably, I- I'm sure he probably stereotyped Poles as well and Swedes and and the French. And I, I it, it might just be that like, and, and, and honestly, he might have even stereotyped Jews, right? Like, uh, oh, he, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was like, oh, yeah, sure, Jews are insert random Jewish stereotype, right? Like, um, it he might not have seen a problem necessarily with stereotyping uh, because that's let's be honest that's what that's what he was doing he was stereotyping right like he wasn't necessarily saying that all blacks should be killed or anything like that that's you know it's 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 a step further to the holocaust versus stereotyping so um i can see how he might draw like a differentiation there right like Oh, it's one thing to say that all French people are this, or all Swedes are this, or all Poles are this. It's quite another thing to be like, yeah, let's just kill all the Poles, or let's just kill all the Jews, right? And and um, and so, I guess in the in defense of Vladik, which is not something I necessarily expected to say tonight, um, maybe that's where he that's that's kind of where I thought he might be going with that. I think stereotypes are an interesting place to talk about things in this book for a couple of different reasons. First, because Arnie is talking about stereotypes himself. He's saying, I want to be cautious as I'm telling the story. I don't want to make my father out to be like the stereotypical old Jewish miser because he is old and Jewish and acting very miserly. So I, I am, I'm conscious of the stereotype already existing and I don't want to reinforce it. And yet also... So much of this art style, as something else I'm sure we're going to continue to talk about, is he is stereotyping groups of people into animal caricatures. The Jews are all mice, and the Germans are all cats, even though there's obviously interplay and overlap between these. You have people who are both Jewish and German, and because they're Jews, they get to be mice. And then the rest of the Germans, they're the cats. Uh, and the, the Swedes are the antlered uh, animals, and the French are frogs. But there is a huge array of differences inside of each of those groups. But they're lumped all together into this cartoon species for both artistic purposes, but also as a continuation of stereotypes. Right, and that, that's one of the criticisms against the book, is by, drawing, by, by, lump, by using it as shorthand which is kind of really what he's doing, right? It's really to, like, just give you a shorthand, like, oh, that's a Jew, that's a German, that's a Swede, that's a Frenchman, and then dogs are, for some (laughs) reason, Americans are dogs. Um, Because the dogs come in and wrap the cats. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And actually, okay, I didn't pick up on that part. I was wondering why we were dogs. So I cheated a little bit and looked it up on Wikipedia, um, some of the thoughts about about Mouse beforehand. That was my research. And... So, uh, yes, I do think his tendency to draw all people, all Jews as mice was annoying because it's like, I don't know which mouse is which. And, um, and but I, I don't think I was impressed by how much thought he put into it um, and <clears throat> how careful he was, supposedly, in trying not to draw people in like as a negative kind of stereotype thing. Right. Like there was no like weasels or or anything like that. The the gypsies being bugs was the closest it was I a moth. Saw, it, it was, was a gypsy a, moth. Supposedly it was okay. a gypsy moth, but yeah. Right, but that, that that was the only one that was like, and I understand that's an animal, which maybe nowadays is unfortunately named, right? But like, that was the closest where I like could be like, somebody could be like, well, wait, why am I a bug kind of thing? Right, yeah. Um, but also apparently the Americans, in addition to being dogs, are the only uh, nationality or group, or well, I don't know how you want to group them because Jews really aren't, weren't a nationality back then, but... Um, the only group of people who were given different um, 
kind of subbreeds. I guess there were different types of dogs. And the idea being that America was a bit of a mixing pot where you did have, like, there isn't really like, Americans aren't really like a homogenous group necessarily in the same way that Jews would be or Germans would be. They're more of a mixing pot. So it would make sense that there'd be some differentiation between them. So to be fair, though, the only ones I really had problems differentiating were a lot of the mice. Well, like, at least when, it's also unfortunate just because they were always in situations, the mice at least, where they were dressed alike. Like, all the men are going to be dressed in these suits, and then they get to the concentration camps, and of course they're all dressed the same. So, and they're all shit, like, I guess, kind of in a way, in reality, they all did look physically the same to a, at a certain point. Like, right, they're all starving, they're all in these, like, not fitting clothes, they're all, they've all been shaved and everything like that, so... I guess I can kind of see it also com- him coming from that direction, but it does make it hard then to teleport. Like, okay, there's five mice. Which one's Vladik? Uh, I'm, I'm going to assume it's the one talking maybe or something. Like, he tried to give some some hints sometimes like, oh, this one has a hat. Or like, you yeah. know, like this one has like really wavy eyes because he's, he, he's going insane from starvation and stuff like that. Um, the poles, though, I could actually, maybe not they're different. I don't even know if there are different sub subbreeds. Is that even the right term? But I don't even know. I don't even know if there are diff- I don't even know if there are breeds of pigs. Obviously, there are, because there's different sizes and stuff like that. Um, not to the extent of dogs, but like I can actually usually tell the difference between at least the pigs that mattered, right? The poles that mattered, and I think that's where, if we're talking strictly on art, that's a little bit where the Jews fell down because it was then you couldn't you could barely tell the difference between any two mice, right? And those are the ones you care about. It doesn't really matter if you can tell the difference between two cats or two pigs or two frogs, right? None of the other ones really matter in terms of what characters you need to be focusing on. Well, so it's, it's interesting to me that you said that um, you could tell the difference between the pigs that mattered because to me, like there was never how, – how often were there multiple pigs on the panel at the same time? It felt like it was – like for any group other than the Jews – there was, I mean, so for the Germans, you occasionally saw a cat, and he was usually an asshole who was yelling at people or shooting people. And occasionally there was a pig, and he was either coin flip, either helping them out by hiding them or slamming a door in their face. But um, any time that a pig got important enough, I don't know if I should be calling them pigs, every time a, a Polish person a got important enough to, like, have a name, I'll be honest, I can't name any, like, any of the Poles right now. Like, well, Mar- they're all Mar- Polish Mar- and, yeah, they're all Polish names, so they're... Yeah. But anytime one got like important enough, like usually they they disappeared afterwards because they got shipped to a different town or or whatever. Like it never felt like any polls stuck around for more than a couple pages worth of the story. And and well, to your okay, sorry, oh, go ahead. just just to, just to finish that, yeah, yeah, I guess true to your point, Paul. Like if you put yeah, I could flip through the notes and find two names. But if you put like the lady that they stayed in their house for a little while mm. her, in her house with her son, if you put her against like. I don't know, one of them that let them stay in their barn. Or, yeah, or, they or the one the that was passing a note back and forth between Auschwitz and the other Yeah, in, in the concentration camp, yes. Probably if you put those two in the same panel, yeah, I probably couldn't tell them apart then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andrew, you were going to say something now? I, I've lost track of my okay. thought already. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, we all have like, oh. break, old man disease it's, tonight. It's, but if, if Paul read the same Wikipedia page, um, one note, though, one criticism specifically about Poles as pigs is choosing pigs as a Jewish person does have significance Mm. because that means they're unclean. And so 
Polish people took offense to the fact that they were being represented as an animal that Jews inherently view as unclean. So that that's like the biggest direct one. I mean, like French people as frogs. I don't know if that's. That's a I little bit of a slur. I don't know if that's offensive or not. So I, I, I don't I, think I, particularly I, fond of it. Let's go yeah, ahead. like I don't I don't think they're gonna like they'd smack you probably if you said it to their face. I'm sure, but like they're not gonna like. Well, it's not the same as calling them Schwarzers or whatever. I'm sure. Let, let, let's be honest. Like times have changed, right? This is written in what the 80s, and um, I don't think in uh, the the year of our Lord 2021 that anyone would dare write a uh, draw a graphic novel right now where they decide to represent all people of a certain race or nationality or ethnicity however you want to put it as a particular animal because no matter what animal you pick well so first of all people are going to find that probably inherently offensive right like how why are you saying that all people of this group look alike and secondly anyone can get offended by anything at this point and i don't think uh, that was quite that way back in the 80s. I think it was probably a lot more acceptable to have, you know, Pepe Le Pew, the womanizing, possibly rapey uh, skunk from Looney Tunes, right? Like, uh, or whatever other things we had back then. I'm, I'm well, drawing or, a blank, but... I mean, Bugs Bunny cross-dresses in, like, 50% of Looney Tunes, <laughs> and you probably couldn't do that nowadays either. Mm, that might be more acceptable now. Honestly, well, not played off as a joke like oh, it is. Though. Yes, like, right. Like not not in the way Bugs Bunny is. Right. But um. But we were talking about how the characters and the representation of these characters, more importantly, uh, are all the same and hard to tell apart. Uh, I want to level a, a minor criticism, and it's possibly not entirely fair, but as a graphic work, uh, I have to say that Spiegelman's artwork is not as strong as I would like it to be. Uh, if he were a better artist, it might be better. We might be better able to tell these characters apart, even though they, he is drawing them in the same species. You can draw two mice that look very, very different, but maybe Spiegelman can't. And so, oh. that's a little bit harsh, because I don't want to criticize him too much for it, because he's a much better artist than I am. But it's something that I've come to expect from other graphic works. So I was curious, the, the comic within the comic, the um, something about surviving planet hell, or something, the, the story that was supposed to be about his mother's suicide. Do you know... I didn't mm-hmm. look this up, and I probably should have. I assumed that was actually by a different artist. It looked very like an R. Crumb style of drawing, but I don't know if that was just him imitating or if that was actually a different artist. Which My understanding is that is actually his own work that he's reproduced in his own work, uh, and that it was probably very close to the original that he created, uh, so, if okay. not exactly the original. Uh, so he's capable of um drawing very well but he you know he's on a schedule he has to keep pumping these things out and I, he probably did that over a much longer period of time per page because it's only a couple of pages right so um although i'm wondering if and we're entering into unanswerable territory here but if he was at all going for a mainstream audience and you're not drawing like superman and batman right then this is kind of the art style to go with it looks kind of comic strippy right like it it looks it looks like something that if all you had read was the Sunday comics, you would probably be more comfortable, not you, you, but like the general you would be more comfortable with this art than picking up Watchmen or especially From Hell, right? I mean, that's like, we like that and we appreciate it, something like that, but somebody, Paul can speak up as the representative of the everyman. If, if, if this art style is easier to pick up for somebody not in tune with graphic novels and comics to a degree. Yeah. I'm not sure I agree, and 
again, like like Andrew, I don't. I I'm hesitant to criticize because I am terrible at drawing, and I realize how much work it is to draw those panels with any degree of detail. But my first impression when I looked at it was, ugh, black and white, right? Like I think adding color. No, seriously, like adding color would have done a ton towards helping to differentiate things, right? Like part of the problem is there's only so much you can differentiate, like okay this mouse has a vest or that mouse has a hat like you said but if you just had something simple like hey this mouse generally is wearing a, a blue outfit or that mouse is generally wearing what? a red outfit or something like that i mean what's the like how does like homer like how do you tell that homer is homer right because he's always wearing a stupid white shirt and blue pants right is my right about yeah that? but well my my counter to that though would be like i can look at a black and white calvin and Hobbes or a black and white peanuts and instantly tell what they are now maybe that speaks to their artistic talents with well, yeah. that art more so than Spiegelman. And, th- and that takes me to my second point, is that it looked intentionally um, not well <laughs> detailed, right? It, it, I, I don't know how to put it. It looked like it was aiming for some sort of artsy, like abstract-ish kind of thing where it's like, I can draw well, but I'm going to draw like a less detailed mouse, another less detailed mouse, and not have a lot of background details. And it, I mean... If it wasn't a mean way of saying, or I don't want to put this, if I didn't know any better, I'd say it was someone being lazy, right? Like they just didn't want to put forth a lot of effort. I'm guessing it was not laziness. It was an intentional decision on his part, but um, like it felt like there could have been a lot more detail put in and and we know he can do it, right? Because we saw instances where there was a lot of detail. Um, And well, well, not to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. But I guess to cut you off. um, I guess I... I guess I almost have the opposite opinion. Like you just flip through it and there, I guess maybe you guys are focusing more on characters, but like you flip through it, like there's very rarely a blank background or like, like there's a lot of details going into these backgrounds, like just like randomly opening up to a page and like they're crawling up into a barn and there's like, there's, you know, straw, like individual, you can see the hay, there's a cross hatching on the underside and then they're in the top and you can see all the rafters and he drew the grain and the wood of the rafter. I mean, like there is a lot of details put in there, but yeah, it's maybe more, <laughs> it's almost like he put more into the backgrounds yeah. than he did into the characters. And as, as you're saying that I was skimming through the book and you're absolutely right. Like the backgrounds are pretty meticulously detailed, but I'm looking at the characters and the characters are something that I... I'm, and this is not an exaggeration. I could draw them. It is like an outline of a rabbit with you know two ears, but, and then a dot for an eye, and then a slash for the eyebrow, and that's it. There's like no mouths. There's no like detail right. to the face at all. It is a, almost the equivalent of a smiley face, except without, without the, the okay. mouth. I'm going to speculate for a second, Paul. Yes. If you were saying, as you just did a second ago, that this was an intentional decision on him, and we know he's got the artistic chops because we've seen him draw other characters and other works, and we see what he does with the backgrounds, then is the implication that the settings matter more than the people? Probably. I don't know. This is one of those artsy things that I don't really ca- well, like. Oh, he's an, yeah. Maybe he ca- it's, cares it's more unans- about that. Right. It's unanswerable, right? Because we we'd have to pick his brain. But I think yeah. Like to my earlier examples, like. You look at, and I just hold them up because to me they're the two comic strips that always come to mind when I think of comic strips, Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes, right? There's a lot of blank backgrounds in those. It It is much more a focus on the characters. And even in like normal American comics, like there's a much more of an emphasis on like, boom, there's Superman in the front foreground, or, you know, there's Batman and yeah, 
don't pay attention to the stuff in the background necessarily. Or like the stuff in the background ends up being more distracting because you're like, ooh, is there something back there that I should be paying attention to type of thing? But yeah, but I mean, to, to Andrew's point, I think I think that's very reasonable and, and even likely because we already know that he made an intentional decision to make all people of a certain type rabbits, all people of other type pigs. So he is trying to send some sort of message um, of sameness between groups and to uh, intentionally make these characters less detailed so they look more like each other would seem to go along with that kind of goal um, of making people look similar. And so I think, I think there's, I think that's, that's probably likely, you know, if we were to pick his brain, I would put money on that being intentional in some degree, but it's just one of those things that, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it made it seem, too artsy to me right like he wasn't trying so, to draw something interesting to look at so to counter that line of thinking though about like let's make all the people look the same so we can focus on the backgrounds there there's something we already had touched on though about there is a lot of individualism i guess for lack of a better term there about we constantly were asking like, oh, did the war do this to Vladek was, was, or did it enhance his characteristics or something? And like other people like, well, no, I came out, you know, like Mala, I think, right, says like she came out of the Holocaust and she's not like how he is. Although, again, maybe she kind of is. She just doesn't <laughs> flaunt the, well, she wants, she wants money. She wants to spend it. She doesn't want to save it, right? Um, but like there's, there's other instances where they're like, no, like other people are not like this. So... That kind of run ca- that does run counter to the oh let's let's you know have all the Jews be mice and kind of treat not not treat he doesn't really treat them as a as a blob though right he he does do a good job of differentiating each individual ones and I, I even had a note and I didn't even give you guys a chance to touch on the topic I just brought up but um there was there was something about um how oh well like the, there's there's a f- different gamut of jews right i mean you have you have jews that are helping each other you have jews that are turning in each other you have ones i mean like is it capos capos that run the concentration camps um even some of those apparently were jews it said so it it does seem it does seem odd to make to use the shorthand of mice particularly that they look as we've gone over before that they look the same but then actually give them like individual in individual traits right well that that was what was so frustrating to me is that this story seemed to be so focused on characters and um the differences between them and and to your point right like there were there were good jews there were evil jews there were good poles there were evil poles i think there were even good germans in there too um like and he went through great pains to lay out like the entire family tree right like there are so many panels where it's like I don't really care like where your second cousin went like during all this time, like, and, and like the father-in-law, the mother-in-law, all, all these different things. And yet, despite all of that, all of them looked the same. And it, it made it so hard to tell the difference between them, even though he clearly wanted us to, to understand that there were great differences and they seem to be working completely at odds to each other. And, I again, I'm sure it was an intentional decision, but it was just a really frustrating decision to me. One of the parts where I think that it worked out particularly well is the sequences where, especially Vladik, but other characters are as well, are wearing masks of the other animal. 
So you have a, a, a rat or a mouse wearing a pig mask. That's a pretty common occurrence because he's out pretending to be just a Pole when he's a Jewish Pole. And the art style actually conveyed some level of the craft of stealth there particularly well. And it was interesting how this came into play in the second book when Art portrays himself as a human wearing a mouse mask, uh, dealing with reporters and talking about the first book and its critical success. So it, it plays on a couple of different levels there, and I thought that that was at least an interesting use of what he was already building. Even if it didn't have any intentional purpose or the, where it was going to go anywhere, I thought it was both creative and evocative. So before we dive into that, that was my note about Paul that I had written down was kind of a joke on the title of the second book is Here My Troubles Began, right? And that chapter that you're referencing, Andrew, where it it really it really starts breaking down the fourth wall because he's, he's not, I guess, not directly breaking the fourth wall, but he's, he's pretty well breaking the fourth wall because he's talking about his the, the comic in the comic. And it was like, so there's your postmodernism, Paul. That, that was the heavy dose of postmodernism. So I figured that was where your troubles began with with the book. (laughs) Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) Um, So actually, no. I mean, I thought it was a little weird that he took that little detour there, including to talk. And and here, I'm going to tie in both things that you're talking about. To talk with his psychiatrist. And I'm going to go ahead for an audio podcast. This is great. I'm going to hold up like a panel to the camera. But when he's talking to his psychiatrist... I had to go back because at one point I realized his psychiatrist is wearing the rabbit mask. And then I'm like, wait. And and because I got people confused all the time, I also realized he was like both of them in different panels at different times wearing rabbit masks during that discussion. And I'm pretty sure this is true. But I mean, again, I'll hold it up. Like at least um, at least one of them is. And then it looks like uh, I, I just assumed that that's. Big mouse ears, not right. Yeah, I thought it was big mouse ears as well, but also it looks like Art is portraying himself there as completely anthropomorphized mouse and the uh, psychiatrist as uh, a man wearing the mouse mask. Uh, so I, had, he, I, had, I don't he, remember seeing that. That's something that slipped by, passed by me. He also obviously reverts, like, while all the people are yelling at him about, like, what about this about the Jews? And what about the, uh, like, do you want to sign a book deal or we sell a vest and blah, blah, blah? Like, he starts reverting to a child at that point, too. Yeah, and, and so I don't, um, I don't know. I guess I don't really care, but I thought it might be an interesting <laughs> question to be like, what exactly was he trying to say? So, assuming that that during the discussion, so I, I understand like when, um, yeah, Vladek at times was wearing the pig mask because he was a Jew trying to pretend he was he was a regular pole or whatever. And I understand there's that one panel where that there was a germ. Um, I guess someone in, in in one of the camps who was claiming he was just a German and he was going back and forth between the the rabbit or the the mouse. The ma- Wait a second, they were wearing. You, you said rabbit. They're they're supposed to be mice. Why would they be wearing rabbit masks? You said the you said you, mice. We were saying said, that they're thinking of the rabbit. ear mice. Yeah. Okay. Wait a second. Yes. Yeah, you said That's that. even weirder. They are wearing. Those are some big ears for those mice. Anyway. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I got I got way confused. But but what I didn't understand is why during that psychiatrist thing. Which already was a little bit of a weird detour, but I understood that again. This is just him trying to like deal with his own like n- n- you know, mental issues. Um, why they'll be wearing masks there? So I think I think some of that comes into during that sequence. I think he's in a way he's questioning. He's almost he's almost questioning like, am I Jewish enough? Like, hey, I didn't live through the Holocaust. Like, can I like though like those are real Jews kind of thing. 
or like because even one of them some guy even asks like um well actually he asks if you're going to draw israeli jews what animal would they be I, I don't know why they would be not mice but that just goes to speak about like wanting to chop up the the divisions even more and and for those since since this is an audio podcast that I keep on talking about holding up the thing for anybody who has the it's in the second book on page forty four at least a copy that I have where he like kind of during the middle of his talk with his psychiatrist that um, you can kind of see I think at, so it's it's very strange because at some points it looks like they're not wearing masks but at other points it looks very clear to me that they are wearing masks um, well an, another very small detail so since people have different editions of the books, it's basically the opening pages of chapter two of book two. Um, He goes out, he goes out of his way to point out that his psychiatrist, that psychiatrist has a framed picture of a cat. Given the metaphors of of the animals in here, why go out of your way to point out and include that detail? Like it's not like it's a picture, right? He drew that in there and then pointed out, Hey, look, this guy's a picture of a cat. That's where it starts. That's where it starts to be like, did that have a point? <laughs> he also points out it, that like, it has a point if you think it has a point. <laughs> and that's postmodernism. There you go. Yeah, I mean, he also points out like, <laughs> oh my god, my father has sunk a coffee and it's so horrible. And it's like, okay, uh, whatever. Which like, is which is funny because I was reading another novel set in the seventies, and that's all they were drinking after they had after they got home from the bar. They sat down and drank sanka coffee. I was like, ah, I guess that was a, that's clearly nineteen seventies thing to go drink sanka. Yeah. The psychiatrist office uh, episode is a little bit out of place, but it is also something that I thought was compelling. Uh, it was one of the parts that I enjoyed most in my read of it this time. Uh, I don't remember it from the previous read at all. But the fact that Spiegelman, the, uh, the author, Art Spiegelman, is uh, creating this opportunity to bear his soul is an intensely personal thing. I have written uh, some very personal blogs about very difficult times, and it's actually really, really hard to do. Like every single time you start to write something that is truth bearing, you have this thing that pulls you back, or at least I do, and says, no, you can't share that. You can't say that. That'll burden someone else with this truth or people won't understand it. And both that and the comic within the comic where he's talking and showing the work that he did being very harshly truthful with his own failings with his mother uh, are intensely personal in a way that I found to be compelling and uh, impressive because I know how difficult that can be. Well, even just the simple fact of just dedicating the second book to his dead brother who he never met, who again, somewhere later on in that book, he, he's, he's like, I have a sibling rivalry with a ghost. I like, I can't win. He was the perfect son because he's not throwing tantrums. Like that's, that was stuff like that was honestly, I think just as compelling as reading about the Holocaust. Right. So I, I know I've mentioned this before, but I, I think the best for, – for me, after reading both the books, I think the best way to to consume this and to try to understand it is that it's a person with some – I don't want to say mental issues because uh, that seems unnecessarily harsh, but with some, some hang-ups about his relationship with his father and perhaps his relationship with success and, and a lot of other things – um, trying to come to grips with a, a, a large variety of, of things that he's grappling with, right? His, so obviously the relationship with his father, but also, as you mentioned, the relationship with his, his dead brother that he never met and constantly feeling like he was falling short of that ideal. 
also he had uh, his relationship with his mother right like he had that um uh there was i think a page or two where um like a very strange or it was i uh, know it was i guess the comic that um mala accidentally mm-hmm. let vladic read where i guess it sounded like his mother was blaming him for murder i don't know it was very strange that was something that i didn't quite understand but it that that it's hard to tell with that comic, right? Because that's yeah. his perspective. Yeah, and it, but it, it seemed point. like it seemed like in addition to having father issues, he had mommy issues, right? And um, and uh, oh, and and also how like how he went off the deep end when he found out that Vladik had burned um, Anja's yeah. journals, and he called he called he, him a murderer. And it's he like, called him a murderer, dude. I get that you're a little <laughs> upset, but that's that's a little harsh, right? So so, th- but I think that ties into his feelings about his mother's death. He probably has some latent. He probably lays some blame. He might not say it out loud on Vladik for his mom's death, right? I mean, we don't we don't get we kind of don't get nearly enough to dissect anything about her end of life, right? I mean, purposely so. Well, so um, maybe you can help me out here because I had one of the problems I had was with the the kind of constant like time traveling throughout it, right? Like at some point, mm-hmm. like. They talked about Vladik had died of a heart attack in the past, and they go on and have like the rest of the book about him or something. And um, when did uh, so? How old was Art when um, Anja, Anya, whatever A N J A killed herself? Like, was it like she was? He, he was wanna, thirty. Was he that old? No, he wasn't that old. Yeah, he was that old. No, he because was born in 1950. I thought he was and born she, in 1948, and his mother committed suicide in 1978. I thought it was 1968. I thought it was 19. Yeah, I thought it was the 60s. Well, so anyway, I guess it's it's not it's not a postpartum thing though, right? Okay. Like he knew I, his. I mom. guess I. I, I guess words I, in the in the comic within the comic were menopausal depression, but so whether that's appropriate or not either is really questionable. Okay. Okay. I, I guess I assumed he was even young, just based on the fact that he drew a comic like that. I guess I was just figuring he was like more at a college age, but. At least well, twenty would be college age. So if you're right, that it was sixty, and then I'm mis- misremembering that it was actually seventy eight, and it was actually sixty eight. Then twenty would be college. Yeah, I mean, so that that was the impression I got was, and to have those type of emotions and that type of guilt running through you and draw that type of comic to me felt more like that's what you're doing when you're in college, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, that's what college is for. I was your roommate in college, Travis. I know the kind of like weird phases people go through. Um, but one thing I had from early on was. Also, so the second chapter is called Honeymoon, right? And the honeymoon is actually they spend three months in a sanitarium. I assumed actually she just had postpartum. That's what the Wikipedia article said, I think. They attributed it to postpartum. But she does seem to have a history of hysteria, right? Like right. multiple times through the through the Holocaust, she's like, no, we can't leave. And like she she's the one breaking down into tears. Now, is that Vladik flavoring it? to Artie when he's telling it to Artie who knows but he kind of holds her up on a pedestal so that would be kind of odd that he would he would flavor it that way maybe it's Artie flavoring it that way like he's like oh my mom like this is my mom killed herself she was obviously mentally unstable I'm good I have to depict her that way it it's impossible to know (laughs) but that was my note after the first chapter of that chapter two I was like oh I think she just had postpartum because if she's ready to check out in three months she probably doesn't have real quote-unquote mental issues but she winds up killing herself and some other scenes seem to kind of indicate maybe she did have some mental issues i think it is a fact that she had mental issues but you're right because we are hearing this from vladek and 
you you end up in a situation where maybe he is an unreliable narrator in this case, but he's talking about uh, even from the beginning of the relationship, he's checking out the pills that she was taking because she was anxious. She obviously uh, from the story that we are presented here, it would seem to me, and you never want to diagnose characters, let alone people remotely, but it would seem that to be that she had some sort of anxiety disorder. And this plays into why she was always very hesitant to leave what appeared to be temporarily safe, even though the long term could be substantially better, and ultimately why she might have taken her life at the very end. These things would have been compounded by many other factors in her life, if they were true. Uh, it's obviously impossible to tell. Yeah, I mean, so if, if we assume that there are at least two things that are factually correct, one is that she killed herself, took her own life, and two is that she was committed to a Senate. Um, sanitarium uh, at one point in her life, it seems reasonable to believe that even if there is some coloring on Vladek's part, and and, to, and like you said, there's no reason to think that he would paint her in a bad light. Like it, everything seems to indicate that, like you said, he's he puts her on a pedestal, he thought the world of her, and would, if anything, try and paint her in the best possible light. Um, it, it seemed to me like she had, I, and I don't even want to call it mental issues, but she probably was just mentally a little fragile right like and was prone to to um yeah to 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 having some breakdowns if you will now to be fair after her after her first son rishu i guess that's how you pronounce it dies i mean like anybody's gonna have some level of depression right and some people just aren't going to be able to get past that I mean, well that e- even even with the horrors of the holocaust around you and that drives home the, the, the constant point about this being a personal story on multiple levels of like that was almost like the bigger, possibly the bigger trauma than like living through everything else was like, you can't get over like, especially the fact that they're like, they didn't keep their son with them. Like if they had kept them with them, would they, there was so many sliding doors moments, right? Where they're like, oh, if we had just stayed here, cause they're like, oh, we're going to go on this train. You guys can come stay with this woman. And then he's like, oh yeah. Then they just sat in her house the rest of the war and they lived. And like, we went to the concentration camps. <laughs> guess we made the wrong choice kind of thing but yeah. like the whole like we sent their they sent their son off and they didn't at first because she didn't and then they did and then her own sister yeah think, he didn't even die the one that winds up killing it wasn't even the germans yeah. that killed him yeah yeah so i mean there's a there's a lot of mental baggage that she rightly has about like it's her own sister that killed her son her son like did she need to send her son like like it's one of those things like i, I can't i can not even put my place in that <laughs> Well, cannot put my mind in that place. And I, I know there's a, there's a tremendous amount of danger in terms of people who have never and full disclosure, I've I've never really experienced any kind of clinical depression of my own. So um, I'm just going to throw that out there. And I know there's a lot of danger in people who have not experienced thing, experienced it, um, per, being perceived as judging people who have depression or anything like that. So I, I I'm very hesitant to to do anything to that degree, but. It was interesting to me that for somebody who lived such a challenging life, um, that it was 20 plus years after the Holocaust that she decided to take her life, right? Like she's, she survived and persevered throughout these horrible, horrible conditions with very little uh, reason to hope, right? Like I, I understand that, you know, she said a couple times that knowing that Vladik was out there was the only reason that she went on, but Vladik was still there when she took her life, right? And so mm-hmm. it's, there was no, there didn't seem to be a precipitating event like postpartum depression, right? Like, or, or the, the loss of her son or, or anything like that. Um, 
I don't know if it's survivor's guilt or anything, but even still, that's again, it's 20 years plus after after the war. Um, it's curious to me that, that yeah, it, it it has to be a, something that every that um, Art and Vladik and everyone was wondering about, like why and, and why then, because that stuck out to me as as a peculiar peculiarity. Just like you, I've not personally had d- depression, um, so it's it's hard to tell if that's just something that. Because the depression you hear about nowadays is more like a teenager and they kill themselves, right? And there's not that much time left. I mean, broadly stereotyping, as we're doing, <laughs> as the book does do. But, um, but I mean, I, I could see it like it, it just percolates and then just like, you know, 20 years later, your your mind just kind of snaps and you're like, I she couldn't take she couldn't take the, the nightmares. Because, I mean, Vladik is still howling in his sleep. Mm-hmm up until up until he basically dies i think like they're out they're outside smoking and ironically spraying bugs with gas after he's just told them about cleaning up the gas chambers that was a that that was obviously an intentional yeah thing. that was I, a I, very I, def- I caught it this time i don't think i yeah. caught it previously that's funny i didn't even catch that they were spraying bugs with gas like at all yeah it was like and it was like literally the chapter where i think vladik describes about cleaning out the gas chambers i think and describing exactly how they work and all that and then yeah like they're out back smoking and then they're like for the bug i'm like wow that that was really on the nose (laughs) (laughs) not subtle it's really difficult to talk about um the the mental illness portion because every person experiences it differently um i have suffered from depression at various points and depression and suicidal ideation are not the same you can be depressed and not have suicidal ideation you can have suicidal ideation and not be depressed so i don't know what's going on specifically here um but I have had both. I've had both depression and suicidal ideation. And I can tell you right now that you're talking about this rationally, and it's not a rational thing. Right. Yeah. And that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I, th- I think that's what Paul and I are both trying to acknowledge of like. It's never are... going to be rational. Yeah. We're, we're, which is we're fine. Yeah. You guys understand that. That's great. But I'm going to really hammer it home. It's never just a rational thing. It's not like, oh, there has to have been some reason why 20 years later things changed. No. Uh, it's, it isn't that, you know, suddenly she snapped or something broke. It was always broken, and every single day that it was happening, you fight back against it and you succeed, and then someday you don't, and it's not because you did anything different or wrong or that anything changed. It's just that that day it didn't work out right. Right, and and when I said snapped or broke, I didn't mean like, you know, I, that's kind of how I meant. Like just eventually, like there's just too many holes in the dam for you to to hold it up anymore, kind of thing, right? Where it just the levy breaks um. right and she was saying at various points that Vladik was her reason for continuing but in a lot of ways Vladik did literally save her on multiple occasions by making sure she had access to plenty of food and other resources by helping to protect her from abusive guards by leveraging the friendships and deals that he was making to make her life better uh, throughout the entirety of the experience pre-concentration uh, camp in the concentration camps and one has to assume that he probably did very similar things throughout his life he seems to have genuinely loved Anya, which um, has to have been helpful and supportive. And for Art to then come and, and decry him as a murderer for destroying those journals, which is an understandably cathartic thing that he would have done, is like, I can't stand to look at these things that remind me of of my wife that I loved and the pain that we experienced, that she experienced. Uh, it's, it's an interesting set of things. And again, very, very difficult to really get into because it's so personal to the individuals that we are not. And it is. Oh, Paul. Well, I, I was just going to say, I was surprised by how consistently um, 
Vladek would just let things slide off. Like, so he definitely has a reputation of being obstinate and 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 single-minded and like this has to be done and I'm going to keep on hammering this home until it gets done. But there were so many times when Art was kind of a jerk to him and would yell at him and, and be mean to him. And every single time, Vladek was just like, meh. Well, now let's talk about replacing my roof or, you know, now let's talk about how you and Francois are going to come live with me. Right. Like I was, I was shocked. There was no follow up to that when, when, um, Art called Vladek a murderer. Right. Like I thought it would be addressed at some point where like, you know, it was kind of mean when you called me a murderer. Cause I loved your, your mother very much, but no, it was like never addressed after that. Um, and yeah, it was, it was notable to me that Vladek never really, um, pushed back against his son when when his son was mean he i mean yeah some of that some of that is where i started feeling like that maybe that was more where like the effects the war had on him was of like hey if you pushed back you got shot right (laughs) yeah so he's just gonna he just you go through something like that and conjecture on my part like you just kind of you really learn to just kind of let stuff let stuff go like you can't you can't take you can't take umbrage with like every German guard that's giving you a rough time, right? You, you just gotta let it you just gotta let it go. And you or the Tin Man who's like, why did I send all my good Tin Men and keep you? It's like I don't know why did you kind of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and even Art has trouble with this because he talks about well, why didn't you guys fight? Why didn't you just push back? I wrote you that multiple times. Yeah, like. <laughs> Art is like you guys could have you know, and we some guys tried, and they'd take one German out, and then a hundred Jews would get killed as a result because they wouldn't just kill the one guy, but they'd go on a rampage. But speaking utilitarianism and pragmatically, I guess it's like if you assume you're all gonna die anyway, which they all say in the concentration camps, they're like right, like oh okay, we're all the only way we're getting out is out that chimney. Then why not fight? Now again, I'm like. <laughs> It's very, very hard to put yourself in that situation, but because there is counter to that, because he does say at some point, he, I forget who he's talking to. Oh, no, I think he's talking to Anya, and he says, to die, it's easy, but you have to struggle for life. Until the last moment, you must struggle together. I need you. Now, that's a very, he ends with a very personal, like, this is you and me we're talking about type of thing, but I think that, at least for those two, that's what got them through, and it becomes kind of a, it's nice that it doesn't become schmaltzy, though. It's not like, jack and rose on the titanic type of thing right like it, do, you, it, do you think that's because anya is not around as the story is being written probably although jack's not around at the end of titanic <laughs> because so, rose yeah. murdered him <laughs> i was waiting for, for you i was not surprised you were the one that <laughs> yeah the just gotta throw it out there um but oh to to circle back to another point uh it's interesting that although it speaks to the, his relationship with anya he burns her stuff, but then he keeps that entire box of photographs of the rest of, like, her family. I think, right? He even says, like, it's not even necessarily his his family's in there, too. But, my God, only what he – he also talks about that. Like, most of her family survives. And he's like, yeah, I had one brother. <laughs> I haven't seen him <laughs> kind of thing. Like, Mala gets mad if I send him money. Like, I, I can see why he's a little bitter at Mala. Then, and everybody's like, geez, like – because he lists, like – yeah, my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, my co- like. I have one brother who lived, and me, and but it, it was interesting that he could hang on to those memories, even her family, but not her, right? Like he he couldn't stand to keep her diaries. So that was a to me that was a a, a poignant point. Um, but also talking about the families, another one in that same chapter that stood out to me was re. And it was a very recurring theme because, I mean, it's there from, like, the intro that Andrew mentioned. But, he, like, 
at the time, it wasn't any more families. It was everybody to take care for himself. And that's when he's talking about, like, his cousins selling out, like, his other cousins or somebody, I think, right? Like, um, And they, they can't help Anya's parents because they're like, uh, if we help you, we'll die kind of thing, I guess. They're like, so... Every single person made compromises at various points in this. There was there was no way to stay pure and survive. And this caused me to make a note at some point in the last third of the first book. Um, who are the types of people that will survive an atrocity like this? And it sort of gets answered in the psychiatrist scene, which points to maybe one of the reasons why the psychiatrist scene is important, because the psychiatrist is trying to help Art get through this as well. And he's saying, it's random. And certainly I think that's one way of looking at it. But I think it's also fair to say that the absolute best moralist people and the absolute worst, most criminal people, both were more likely to die more quickly. And the randomness then sort of picks within a, a self-selected group of in-the-middle people. And I think that's one of the reasons, again, that uh, Art is being careful to show both the good and the bad of Vladek and the rest of the characters in this story, to show their humanity, but also to show they had to be a little bit morally compromised just to make it through. Right, like the people who were going to survive was if you could make friends with a Nazi, then you had the best chance of surviving, right? I mean, that's how he survives time after time is just, hey, I can fix your shoes. Hey, I can do this. Like, I can do that. Like he, The, the he, wording that Vladek uses that I wrote down as one another one of my notes is, if you want to live, it's good to be friendly. Yeah, and he says something and somewhere else. He also says, like, is good to know everything or so, like, right? He's like, know how to do everything yeah he needed to know how to do everything and then he's like he's actually like that's kind of helped me out later in life too but particularly in in that situation he he needed to be able to learn how to fix shoes how to do tin working how to do whatever they were asking him to do so that he didn't get shot here's a related question and it's one of causation um did vladek survive the holocaust because of the type of person that he was or was he the type of person that he was because of the Holocaust, right? Like, did the Holocaust shape him to be so miserly and um, and self-sufficient to a fault? Or was he already kind of miserly and self-sufficient and that helped him to survive the Holocaust? Yes, and. I think it's <laughs> both. both, but it's yeah. also more complicated than that. Uh, one of the things I think is interesting is that it, throughout the periods of time when he's in the, the, the crucible, he is very happy and willing to give away, you know, large chunks. He's also saving up, of course, but he's making trades and giving away large portions of things for specific reasons. Uh, in his older life, the, the miserly depiction, he's not parting with anything for any reason. You know, he'll give a little bit away uh, because he has to to buy a little bit of food, but he is pinching whereas in the in the moment of crisis he's very willing to deal so i wonder if it's because he isn't in a crisis moment or if it's because um he's preparing for the next crisis yeah that's a good point like i i it didn't occur to me like but you're right like when he was when he got like chocolate and stuff like that he would save some of it but he also would eat it and he would also spend things pretty liberally in order to try to I guess to survive, so that's a pretty noble goal. Right, but 
but to get what he wanted, yeah. which was survival. Whereas he doesn't have to fret necessarily for survival at the moment, and so he he hoards up for that next crisis moment. Perhaps maybe, I know that is a thing that can yeah, happen. Yeah, maybe he's willing to pay for survival, and nothing less than that is worth paying up for. Um, at, at least post Holocaust, because we do get a, uh, some insight into what type of person he was before the Holocaust, and he didn't seem to quite be the same, right? Like he 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 had a thriving business that presumably you have to invest money into. Like I, I don't feel like you get to have a thriving business being as miserly as he was later in life, but maybe, maybe he found a way. I don't know. Right. So, like I said, I think he had inclinations, and I think he was also changed. Uh, and that the change continued on throughout the rest of his life. It wasn't just that this was a crystallizing moment, but it was a period where a lot of things occurred and he got through it and then change continued to happen. Right. And I don't think, I don't think we really see him as miserly in those first few chapters before the war, but we, I'm, I'm trying to flip through to see specific examples. I do soon recall him. He's always wheeling and dealing something, right? Mm -hmm. And that served him very well. So I think it just, he was already in that kind of mindset of like, if I can get that to get that to get that to what I, get what I really want, he's already in that mental attitude. So that's why he knows like, hey, if I save bits of this Red Cross box, then I'll be able to trade it later on for something else. While everybody else is just like, nom, 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 oh, diarrhea. Type of thing. Like, that's, what they're, that's what they're all doing. Right? That's our intro right there. <laughs> nom, 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 <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And it was, it was interesting that the second book is titled "Here My Troubles Began." They don't really begin. F I'm not gonna I'm not gonna downplay the horrors of Auschwitz, but he doesn't really suffer terribly until he gets to uh, is it Dachau? D Dachau. Dachau. Like Auschwitz and, and Dachau. And like and that's where that's where the the title actually comes in because that's the chapter he actually says "Here My Troubles Began" because he catches typhus and. At that point, they're like, no, we're just going to kill you all. Because that was another note that I had was like, I guess they were using the Jews as free labor to like make ammunition, like to support the war. Is that why weren't, that they, is, just, why weren't they just killing them? Because the industrial scale of killing is so large that it was physically impossible for them to kill the Jews faster than they did for right. the most part. And they and they described that with the like they couldn't they couldn't even burn them fast enough. Right. They were they, were, they which flabbergasted to be like you can dig a grave faster than burn a body that i, I did not know that <laughs> at least the mass that they were doing it but it, it, it came up like later on when like the I, I guess the war was not officially over yet right but there's like there's a part of the chapter where they were basically just kind of going through the wilderness and like uh, 200 of them would temporarily escape and then get caught and then they would escape again and then another hundred would get caught and it's like and then there's that whole night where the Germans just didn't shoot them. The next morning, they're like, oh, here's their guns. Where did the Germans go? I'm like, well, I, I guess that speaks to the fact that, you know, the thing we always hear about the, the Germans is, oh, I was just following their orders. I guess that's, to me, that was what was playing into that of like, they weren't, not all the Germans were just there to shoot people. They had like, but if they didn't shoot the Jew, then maybe they got shot type of mentality, right? Was what was what was going on. Like, there There's certainly an aspect of that. But they, they had specialized units that were responsible for the mass executions. And there weren't as many people in those units as there were elsewhere in the army. And the rest of the army was stretched thin to begin with. So they didn't, like I said, they, the physical infrastructure to just annihilate the entire six million overnight, you, you couldn't do it. You could not have done it. It took as long as it did, even with them killing as many people in as fast as they did. But there was developing also, new ways to do it. 
But it's also interesting that, like, and maybe I'm just reading too much into the fact that these, at the end of the war there, the Germans weren't just like, all right, we're going to shoot you all now because we hate Jews, and before the Americans come, we're going to kill you all. So it shows, like, maybe they weren't, all the Germans weren't as evil as the evilest Nazi, right? But then on the flip side, there's several instances of, like, they just were walking across a field, and a random kid is like, a Jew, a Jew, let's go tell mom! It's like, there's... There's all sorts of different levels of brain, I'm going to call it brainwashing going on in this society at the time that mm-hmm. is kind of, I'm sure I'm brainwashed in other ways, but I don't, so I can't really say it's, it's hard for me to fathom, but like, it's just interesting. To, I, I, I just can't even think about I think going it is down, hard going down, to going down because... the street and pointing out somebody like knowing that if I point them out, somebody's going to come kill them, right? I think it is hard for you to fathom because you may be brainwashed in other ways, but you don't know that you're brainwashed. Well, that's the point of brainwashing, right? Right, so it's not, you can't you can say, well, I, I know I must be brainwashed, but unless you can point at it and say, well, why is that the crazy belief that I have? You have to be able to out, stand outside of yourself to do that. And uh, the anti-Semitism that ran rampant throughout all of Europe uh, in, in this period and for a long time before, for centuries before, it's something that is hard for us to understand, both as Americans and also living in this environment that we are now. Even with the levels of anti-Semitism that we do have still in our society, which are pretty bad from time to time, it's nowhere near what it was in those situations. Obviously, you have to have a very high level of anti-Semitism to enact something like the Holocaust, but it was a stew of it for centuries that allowed it to finally come around. Yeah, hating Jews was not new to the Germans, right? No. <laughs> um, but, I, but I think that ties back all the way into the point about he's like, ah, it is nothing to compare the Jew because that came up in fire next time, right? But didn't, didn't he, and I meant to pull out the book and look at my notes for that book that we've discussed previously here so i'm looking at you two gents to help me out here maybe jog the memory but he i thought baldwin specifically made a comparison between jews and blacks as well but i can't remember what the comparison was well one of the one of the things that i do remember that came up was that uh baldwin found himself a childhood friend who was a jew and his father baldwin's father found out that he uh james baldwin was was hanging out with a jew and got very upset with James and said, no, you can't do that anymore. But yeah, that was a little, yeah. And I couldn't remember the details of it, but if I remember right, that was more like a religious thing, right? Because he was, I mean, Jewish is a religion, right? Not, not necessarily an ethnicity, but it's both. They, they do. uh, I don't know if we want to go down that, that discussion. Like, are they like, is it actually a defined ethnicity to be Jewish? Yeah. Okay. But it's different than like Muslim, right? Like, like Muslim, yeah. Islam, Islam is a religion. Muslim is who practice, right? But yes, um, and and those who are Islamic would t- tend to be Arab, but not always. You can but, you had you have black okay. Muslims who are convert usually converted in America because you had again going back to Baldwin and the fire next time. There was an awful lot of popularity of that, especially in the 1960s. Like, oh hey, we we can overflow the Aryans and yay. But no, we're getting unfortunately a little far farther yeah. afield there. But th- there are some complicated racial and um, underclass issues uh, coming through here. And Judaism has all of that in Europe and is also um, just, again, set, the set apart, the otherness of them. And the fact that it is so permeated into culture that a child looks at a person and says, you look like a Jew and is able to react that way. And it's not immediately, you know, smacked upside the head by the parents. And they say, yeah, no, no, we're so sorry that he 
called you this a thing that you're clearly not because you're just a pole. No, it, it, it's a, so, a reality that we just don't encounter right now, thankfully. So that made me bring up a, a, a question, though, about with the wearing of masks, the, ma- the mice wearing pig masks to pretend to be poles. Clearly in real life, they weren't wearing masks. At least I assume they weren't, right? <laughs> so, like, what what were they actually doing to try to p- pass themselves off as Polish but not Jewish, right? I mean, like, what, what were they actually... Don't wear their yarmulke. I, I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry, yeah, that's so you'll, you'll, you'll eliminate... <laughs> you'll remove the outward symbols of your faith. So no yarmulke, um, none of the other pieces. And if you are um, not Orthodox, you're going to make sure you're shaving, so you shave off any beard. Uh, so these are all outward signs. But outside of that, you know, they were Jews living in Poland, and they were Polish. They had integrated, at least to a large extent, and uh, the Jewish race is 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 white, uh, white-looking to us at least. And so they probably looked an awful lot like the Poles, is going to be mostly behavioral based, although there's going to be some physical characteristics that people will point to as particularly Jewish, although most of that's all stereotyped. I mean, you can think of it like, let's say some like uh, Irish American is over here and he wanted to pass off as American, right? Like you wouldn't like, you, you try not to speak with an Irish accent. You wouldn't go and order haggis at your at a restaurant or something like that. Like, I, I mean... Obviously, you can't do this without this I, being stereotyping to a certain degree, but, you know, don't speak Yiddish around people. Don't. Um... I guess I'm thinking that one specific example, like, I think he's literally just walking through a field. I don't know. Maybe he asks the kid a question and he has a Yiddish accent or something like that. Yeah. Because clearly you go around and you say, and if you hear somebody say, oi, okay, mm-hmm. either you're a British hooligan or you're Jewish, right? So he, depending on which way you're spelling oi, I think. But, well, and, that, and um, I think that's part of, like, the the silliness of it all. It's like... You know, like how how are you? Sp- Someone can be both Jewish and German, and like how do you? How does well, someone he decide? Has that conversation. Yeah, when he has that conversation, trying to draw Francois, right? Yeah. He's like, "Well, you're French, so you're a frog, but you converted to Judaism, so are you a mouse?" And then I think he even throws a third one in there. He's like, "Or are you this?" Because like that. It's yeah. Like, even he he, that's where he starts playing with the metaphor himself. He's like, "I I." He realizes, yeah, it's breaking down. Although I think, yeah, that same commentary was like it, it was. It was always meant to break down. Yeah, I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's true in the first book. I think he started playing with it more in the second book. Uh, and I mean, this might get a little bit outside of of the discussion. So feel free to just you know not carry on. But I think it goes a little bit to the point of of how silly it is to put so much faith into, or, or not faith, to put so much stock into what race slash ethnicity slash whatever, however you want to phrase it, someone is. Like, okay, is, is someone Jewish? Okay, are they, does that mean ethnicity? Does that mean religion? Are they practicing? Are they also German? Are they also Polish? Like, why does it matter, right? Like, uh, it, it really shouldn't um, on pretty much any any level. And yet, to some people, um, it is extremely important. And um, I don't know why. When I think... Isn't that, and we're going a little bit astray here, but isn't that always like the the odd, can't think of the word for it, but the fact that the Germans were holding up Aryan as this ideal, right? But wasn't like, the, that that meant the ideal was like blonde white people, right? Wasn't that? Blonde hair, blue eyed is the stereotype, yeah. yeah. But then that's not Germans, right? I mean, mo- most Germans are dark haired, dark eyed, like type of thing. So it, 
it always seemed weird to that. But also, yeah, to your point about, and my question about the Jews as an ethnicity, it shows that, like, we talk about them as Germans, right? But it's really the Nazis. We shouldn't yes. even be called, we couldn't, we shouldn't even be saying Germans when we're talking about them because Nazis were a subset of Germans, just like Jews are a subset of Germans. But Spiegelman is drawing all Germans Correct. as cats. And the Nazis are particularly egregious. And all of the Germans are shown, uh, at least all the ones that are shown in this book that I recall, are shown to have Nazi sympathies, even if they're not really members of the Nazi party. You don't typically meet good not uh, good Germans in this story. You meet a couple who are less bad, but you don't meet anyone who is doing any good. Although we do know that there were Germans who were working very hard against the Holocaust because they recognized it as a whole. There's thing. no Schindler. Schindler was German, right? But yeah, so yeah, it seemed, and the same thing with the poles, right? I mean, there were there were good poles, there were bad poles. I'm like, man, the one guy at the end was a jerk. He's like, hey, by the way, there's two Jews hiding out in my backyard, and the Germans are like, oh well, we're trying to get away from the Americans, and just we no longer care about killing (laughs) Jews. We care about saving ourselves. (laughs) Right. It's funny that you single out um, him as the jerk when there's like. You know, literally people like, hey, frail little girl, carry this soup bowl. And if you spill any, I'm going to beat you. It's like, or, or the soldiers who bash the children's heads against yeah. the wall. You know, I mean, there's there's hundreds of people you can choose from who are really bad actors in this book. Right. But I guess like and mate, that speaks. I think to his it. is particularly egregious because he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. I, I think that's the thing is like the the, ger- the the Nazi soldiers like were. We're indoctrinated to think like, oh, Nazi equals evil. They're of course they're going to bash a baby's head against the wall. They're Nazis, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we shoot them in a Wolfenstein. That's why we do that. But like, yeah, the fact that, and at that point the war is over, and the guy is still like, there's Jews back here, type of thing. And that I don't know how fast news like that traveled. That the war, or maybe the war wasn't officially officially over at that point. Well, I mean, I, so it was a poll, right? That had that said that. Yeah. Um, in theory. The Poles shouldn't have. So I, I think it's worth noting that the war and hating Jews are, are separate things, right? Like, um, in theory, the Poles should not be fans of the Germans because Germany invaded Poland. Um, and so you could be not a fan of Germany and hope they lose the war and hope they get their butts kicked while still also hoping that they that all the Jews get killed because they're they're separate things. Right. And. And that could be a – I could see how it could appear to be a little bit of a contradiction in terms of keeping both things in your mind at the same time, but it's possible. Well, that was – and I don't know if this is really related at all, but I had no idea. So Auschwitz is in Poland, not Germany? or Because at some point they were like – they were pulling all the Jews out of the camps that weren't in Germany and taking them – that's why he went to Dachau. Uh, you're both seriously you're googling now. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, it was in German-occupied Poland. But I, I'll I'll say uh, that was one thing that I rapidly lost any interest in was keeping track of like <laughs> what random Polish town are they in now. I don't really care. I I have no. Well, and I don't think it matters what specific Polish town they're in, but that. So now I had that as a couple of notes of like the war itself is way in the background mm-hmm. right like uh, until the ger- until, until the americans are like literally bombing the concentration camps or something like that or the germans are bombing it on their way out like until it gets to that point like yeah it's the holocaust we know this is world war ii all that stuff but like the traditional world war ii story is more like flags of our fathers iwo jima like you know like 
rah, this is rah, the story of the battle. Yeah, rah, rah, we're going in and we're kicking Nazi butt. This is, this is not that at all. <laughs> no. And the, the closest you get to wartime action is, again, near the end of the second book, where uh, Vladek is talking about finding the German families in some uh, bombed-out buildings, and, for lack of better words, has a moment of schadenfreude. It's like, good, let these Germans suffer something that the Jews have suffered. Yeah, I, that, was, that was one of my notes. It's like, yeah, he, he's not bitter. But, I mean, like, he's he's rightfully bitter, kind of, right? But that's yeah, always I mean, it's, the... It's, it's obviously not a great thing for him to feel that, but it's really hard to say he shouldn't feel that because right. he, he has lived through some incredibly tough moments there that, you know, watching some form of justice, even though it's not on the people who are actually doing the harm to him, you can understand why it is somewhat therapeutic to, to see what looks like justice, even if it wasn't justice. It is a little interesting to your point about the war being so far in the background that, um, I, if I recall correctly, there's really no mention of Russians at all in, in any of this. Um, uh, the I Russians mean, are coming, and that's one of the reasons why I had to get out of Russia. Yeah, sorry, but like, there you don't see them ever. There's no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's a single Russian. I mean, he has some relatives that was like they went to Russia, but then they found out, oh, if we're caught here, we're going to Siberia, so let's go back to Poland, yeah, or something there, like that. There was also the discussion where Vladik's father was so adamant that his sons worked so hard to not get conscripted into the Russian army. Uh, so they had to uh, take these extreme actions to avoid it, uh, and that it eventually was why Vladek went into the Polish army. He's like, I just can't do this anymore. And there's a little bit like the, the opening chapter or something like that. The the hairdresser gets arrested because she has Anya's communist papers. Mm, yeah, right. When the when the the police come there, so I mean, there, there's. But you're you're right. There, I don't. There's no animal representation yeah, and, of a Russian in the entire we, book. We, we never see a Russian on and, and it's just interesting because a lot of this takes place in Poland, and Poland is between Germany and Russia, and they both um, invaded Poland uh, during the war. And the, the Soviets, the, the Russians, were the ones to actually liberate Auschwitz. Um, and I know they were prob- that Vladik and, and company were out of there by the time that happened. But it's just and, – and I believe there were some um, – Soviet prisoners of war that were in Auschwitz too. So it's just, it's a little interesting that there were, there was never really any notable Russian characters, but. So since I mentioned communism, East Germany was communist, right? Uh, yes. Yes. After, it, the af- after, after the world, after world war two, the Germany was broken up into four parts. Um, British part, French part, U S part, and a Russian part, which was by that point. Soviet Why did the part. French get a part? And that that doesn't make any sense. For it, for getting their asses I'm not, kicked. I'm not, I'm not no, you're probably that. right. I just I, why? I'm pretty sure that was right. And then the three parts that were allied eventually unified into um, West Germany, and East Germany was just the Russian okay. part. So it was one so, quarter of Germany at that point. So, okay. So I only asked that because I read a book about the history of punk rock in East Germany about how it actually legitimately helped to bring about the end of communism in east germany um but a lot of the talk in there was about how punks got sent to jail was by people going to the, the stasi the stacy if you pronounce Stasi. It. um yeah i'm basically the communist police and informing on their own friends about like hey this guy's singing some bad stuff about you guys you should probably arrest him type of thing so that that really re- Whenever somebody was informing on somebody in this bu- in this book, I, w- I was really thinking about that about how, man, no, n- 
No. Nobody kind of learned anything, right? Like, the, people were informing on people in World War II, and they're still informing on people when the wall goes up. It, it's incredible how willing everyone is to turn on, on everyone else, to be an informer. It's like, yeah, if can I get an edge here? Can I be the wheeler and dealer? Can I get myself a little bit better situation by saying the right thing to the right person? doesn't matter if it's true or not. doesn't matter if it hurts someone else or not. I, I'll, I'll, I'll just do or say what I need to do. Everyone is wheeling and dealing the way that Vladek is, except that Vladek isn't necessarily hurting anybody. He's dealing, wheeling and dealing in, in goods rather than information. I feel like you guys are intentionally continuously trying to draw me into a discussion of modern times here because (laughs) no i mean seriously like you're talking about people like ratting on others and and turning them in like that is what we're seeing a lot in this moment here right like hey i i got this this uh this email from this guy from like 10 years ago where he used the n-word or i have this video of of this person when they were in, in high school like wearing blackface or something like that. And and there's a lot of this um, ratting on people uh, that's been going on now. And so uh, obviously it's a far cry from the Holocaust. And I know I'm not at all trying to make any kind of comparisons here, but it's, yeah, I, I think that a certain degree of, of ratting on people and is, is human nature. And it's not something that, Sadly, we seem to have gotten any better at over the past right. 70 years, well, 80 years. And I know Paul did not read From Hell, and I'm not going to get necessarily into spoilers for From Hell, but go back and listen to our episode. But it kind of ties, I'm going to look at Andrew and say, like, it kind of ties into the whole notion of what Jack, quote unquote, is, right? Like. <laughs> Human I, nature. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying to a certain extent, and, and I'll, I'll bring it back to this book, which is a tougher one. I don't remember where I have this from. Um, it, it looks like it's either the end of book one or the book and beginning of book two, because of my notes here. But this human nature issue um, comes to a head, and, and Spiegelman, uh, Artie Spiegelman, is, is writing about this. And I think this must be the beginning of the book, too, then, because he's talking about it uh, in the sense of what are we supposed to do? Um, are we maybe everyone has to continue to feel guilty about this? Maybe everyone has to be guilty about this forever, because it is about human nature, and human nature hasn't changed and isn't changing. And until we change that, until we do fix the underlying problems, maybe it is better if we stay guilty about it all the time, so that we can continue to not do this shit to one another. Yeah, that, I think what you're what you're talking about is from that whole sequence where. Right, oh, before, right. Right, right before, right before the psychologist. Now, now I remember. Yeah, yeah. It's before the psychologist, he's being interviewed by the media. Is like a lot of modern Germans are upset about hearing the Holocaust all the time, and they don't think that they are responsible for what happened to their fathers and grandfathers, and why we have to keep reliving this. Do they have to stay guilty for forever? And you know, he's saying maybe. He's like, yeah, lots and lots of corporations flourished in Nazi Germany are richer than ever, and like I was just listening to a podcast about um how companies follow the ebb and flow of politics, right? Like you can find a picture of a Mercedes Benz logo with a swastika, but then you can also see rainbow Mercedes Benz logos nowadays. So the corporations are, and we're going off the rails here a little bit, but corporations are, are rampant very, discourse. We very, don't got no rails. They're very pragmatic about that, right? They're going to try to, they're going to try to go where they think the wind is most popular type of thing. I mean, we saw that with the NFL, right? The NFL blackballed Kaepernick, until it became popular to accept his position. And we're going way away from Mouse now. But I, I, but I think it, 
I think World War II winds up being a microcosm for, I mean, that's not new, right? It winds up being a microcosm for the 20th century. But it also is, you know, the Holocaust in particular, what Mouse is about, is one of those uniquely palpable moments where evil happened and like 99.99% of everyone agrees that it happened and it was awful and it should never happen again. And those, you know, Ten thousandths of a percent of people who disagree, we are happy to shun them for the most part because we recognize them to be bad people who would be cooperating with or perpetuating that evil themselves if they had that opportunity. And we say, no, not like that. Nothing in the modern environment gets that level of agreement, right? Slavery. Well, to almost nope. to almost to the detriment of stuff like right. Like I mean, there are genocides that have happened since then that don't get. Even acknowledged as much. It took as, until as the Biden right? to acknowledge the Armenian genocide, which was still in the 20th century, and no American president was even going to talk about it because it potentially upset the apple cart with a strategic ally in um, Turkey. So we can't talk about that because you know, even though we don't necessarily like Turkey all that much, we still use them. We have an air base there. We don't want to upset them, so we can't talk about yeah. that. Yeah, and I mean, again, we'll just lean into being completely off the rails here, but I mean, there, there's a lot of arguments who made that Stalin and um, Mao Zedong have done things that rival or surpass the Holocaust in terms of body counts, but because it's not um, necessarily targeted towards a specific group in the same way and not as um, direct, right? Like we didn't have like concentration camps where they were literally like gassing people in a lot of these cases. It's it's a little bit of a different, uh, you know, it's a, it's a different situation, right? But Yes, there are there are definitely have been massive tragedies and and I'll go ahead and say it, atrocities on scales of the Holocaust that um, they don't get as much oxygen because of the Holocaust is like the the big thing that everyone's like this is terrible and should never happen again. Right, and so to drag us back into Mouse and actually all the way back to the beginning, I think that kind of has sunk in as like I mean we have it's Godwin's law, mm-hmm. right? Every, yep. inter- every internet, Hitler. every internet debate's going to de- de- devolve into Hitler at some point. I mean, it's, it's become yeah, this almost to the detriment of the Holocaust, and definitely to the detriment of these other atrocities. Like nothing can ever be worse than the Holocaust ever, right? I mean, that, that's kind of how it's held up now. Yeah, I mean, you can't talk. Yeah. Ab- in some ways, you can't talk about the Holocaust and Nazis because it just makes you an unserious person, right? Like, oh, really? You're going to say that? You know, Hitler was a vegetarian, so but how completely un- unreasonable of you kind of thing. So, okay. It's also, I want to just, get on, on Mouse and Hitler for a second, you know, you see Hitler's name, I think, twice. And it's both times in the sense of Heil Hitler yeah, as, Heil. A, as a salute to say, no, no, I'm just a German or I'm, I'm pretending. So, but Hitler's presence is absent because it's not political. It's not about the war. It is about the camps, which... You know, he was ordering, essentially, but it's not about the person. It's about the events, which, again, is, is an interesting way of making sure that we can stay focused on it. Yeah, the closest I think you get to him as a quote-unquote person is, like, they go knock on some door and the guy's like, Hitler should have finished you all off. And he, like, sends them on their way or something like that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm, so I think that ties all the way back into our beginning where, about the Vladik's reaction to the, the hitchhiker. It's like... I mean, he says, like, yeah, it's nothing to compare them to the Jews. I mean, it's it's become this thing, like, nothing can be worse. Yeah, nothing can be worse. Now, you could take that politically however you want, have the, the, the Jewish 
society play that up to to their not gain i don't even want to say but you know if you if you take that certain sect of society tact like the the the, the still existing anti-semitism that says like everything's controlled by jews and everything they're like well it, it, are they the one are they the ones that have pumped it up as that or it doesn't really matter that's not even the point i'm trying th- to make when he said that did you take that to be like what happened to what what has happened to the blacks is not even comparable to what happened to the Jews, or did you take it to be, um, you know, uh, stereotypes against Jews are just bollocks, but stereotypes against blacks? No, that those are actually true. Because I took it to be the latter, where it's like, oh, you know, it's obviously like the fact that we're all insert Jewish stereotype is wrong, but it's definitely true that all blacks are thieves or whatever it was that he was he had in his mind um that's the way i took it not necessarily as a oh our grievances are bigger than theirs more of a (laughs) those stereotypes are true and and any is against us were were false i honestly think it's possibly closer to the second one myself because i'm not entirely sure how cognizant vladek would have been about the grievances of a black american i'm sure he was aware in broad terms of slavery but it was very clear he didn't spend a lot of time interacting with very many black people. Uh, and as a result, knew it probably more from a historic perspective rather than the personal lived actual experience of going through the Holocaust that he had had. So two things. One quick note, and I know I'm not trying to keep countering Andrew's contention. Hitler was only mentioned twice. But Artie does say something like, then save the damn special K in case Hitler comes <laughs> back. Or something. There's, like a throw, yeah. there's like a throwaway line for that too. But um. So the, the line, per, the line that, proceeding. That gets to what I was saying about the thing earlier. Where maybe some of these things were, you know, preparing for that next crisis when Hitler-esque two, Hitler two <laughs> right. comes back, the sequel, right? Um, so the line directly preceding Vladek's outburst, notorious outburst, is Francois saying, "How can you of all people be such a racist? You talk about the blacks the way the Nazis talked about the Jews." So I guess that's why she does say talked, not treated. So maybe I maybe I put my own and maybe I put my own twist on it. But so I, I guess that's why I'm coming at it from the other way of like he's thinking like, no, we've been way more persecuted than anybody else. You can't compare you can't compare Jews to anybody else. But I can see your guys's point where he's like he's stereotyping he's stereotyping blacks and she's like, well, the Nazis stereotyped you guys and that with the implicit like and that's why they killed you. Yeah. But, and the language is complicated and nuanced, and both of those things can be true, and possibly both of those things were true in his head at the same time. Yeah, I think it's a completely reasonable interpretation you have. It's just that my interpretation was more of a, um, the Germans tried to dehumanize the Jews uh, just the same way that you're trying to dehumanize this black person. And Vladik was like, well, yeah, but one of them is justified and one of them's not kind of thing, right? <laughs> To, to, to be to be frank like obviously you know it's wrong to dehumanize the jews but it's okay with this group of people because of reasons all right so i think we might have talked our way through the whole book at this point i don't know if anybody has any closing thoughts that they want to i'll bring up one more point my last note essentially i have two more but i'll only, I'll only bring up the one more I mentioned that the uh, in the intro that I felt that the second book had been weaker my first time around. 
I still think overall the second book is weaker. It's shorter. It is the Holocaust portion, and uh, it is uh, a very intense depiction. But it doesn't go into a whole lot of useful details. I mean, it, it tells us what we already knew about the Holocaust to yeah. a certain extent. And it is much more full of some of those situations that Paul was complaining about where it's like, okay, this thing happened and this thing that is almost exactly the same happens. Um, but the piece that I found to be most compelling to me this time around was, interestingly, the interaction between Artie Spiegelman and his psychiatrist. That seemingly throwaway bit ends up adding weight and gravitas to the whole of the story because it is adding nuance to it. And the line in there that I think was particularly interesting uh, that came out in my read this time was, life always takes the side of life. That the survivors always want to be survivors and always want to see the survivors, the people who got through as the winning side. No one won World War II. There are people who survived. There are countries that won the war, but it was an incredibly bad experience for everyone, and everyone did stuff that should not have happened. We firebombed Dresden as Americans. The uh, The British did very similar things. No country, no individual involved in that, I think, got through that experience free and clear. But I think that's also probably true of every moment in life. We all c compromise in ways that we probably shouldn't. Again, it comes back to that previous thing. Maybe we should be spending more time feeling guilty. But life always takes a side of life. It, it resonated for me more this time around. I hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed this discussion of mouse to graphic novels. If you have any uh, kind of discourse you want to do with us, then you can do that at our website, rampantdiscourse.com. You can do it on our Discord channel at discord.io slash rampantdiscourse. On Twitter, at rampantdisc. Or that's it, I think. I honestly stopped paying oh, attention a little while oh, ago. So. man. All right. Well, <laughs> unless you're Andrew, who, who stopped the discourse a couple of minutes ago, he can't stop the discourse. 